The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Pootie and P Nate in Garage Mahal, home away from home, living all of the good times. I didn't want to say dream. I realized last week I said living the dream. People always ask me, like, how are you doing today? And so, like, at work, I'm, I'm pretty good at oftentimes being, like, much better than I deserve. And then, like, hopefully that they yep. get. But, like, I've said that too many to so many people now that I have to, like, come up with other things. And so I kept saying, oh, I'm living the dream. Yeah, and then like, but it's so I'm not living it's cheesy. The dream. Like, it's cheesy. So I'm living good stuff now. Well, I would say we're living much higher than we've earned, and that's because we're at Wetlaufer's <laughs> place. <laughs> we're in we're in Garage Mahal, and so Dave Wetlaufer has earned a very good living for himself, <laughs> and we are living off of the fat of his uh, of his accomplishments. Well, because he's retired, he's retired pro- appropriately. He's redeployed. He's that's not right. spending all his time golfing. He's helping us <laughs> get the gospel right. out. You know what I mean? Doing doing the right, right things. He's doing it right. That's right. Props to Wetlaufer. Props to Wetsy. He doesn't get enough uh, enough recognition around here, so we're very thankful for him. Who and are we, by the way? We are the Rebels, and we're here uh, dropping on a Wednesday, and we are part of the Reformed Rebel Network, which is a network that's committed to equipping Christians to engage culture with a biblical worldview. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can still find us at our uh, old website, rebelalliancemedia.com. You can find us at Patreon, patreon.com slash reformedrebel. You can check out all the different podcasts podcasts on the network. You can check out the blog posts that are coming out and some of the, the writing and uh, the videos. Lots of great stuff coming out there. But we're excited to jump into our topic today. Uh, we're still in this new series called No Other Gospel. And today we're going to be talking about legalism and antinomianism. Um, but before we get into that, as always, we want to start you off with a little bit of Rebel News. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up old people. Um, sorry, Dave. <laughs> but, uh, you good segue, good so, segue. King of segues. I came across something a couple weeks ago. I think I think this has been out for a bit, but we haven't talked about it, so we're talking about it today. Okay. There's a church in Minnesota. Been struggling for a while. About ten years, this pastor says. Bethlehem Baptist. <laughs> yes, they've been struggling for a long time, particularly since pipes were tired. No, uh, the pastor's name is Daniel Wetterstrom. So that's any his, relation to Wetlaufer there. <laughs> I'm going to assume no, because what's he going to do this? But this church has been struggling. So they identified, you know, church growth strategies and all that, that stuff. The elders and this pastor sat down and they identified the problem with their church growth. And that is they have too many old people. So rather than saying, okay, well, let's, let's, let's try to attract younger (laughs) families by ministries and, and, you know, preaching the gospel. The gospel, yeah. Their strategy was to know, let's just kick out all the old people. 
not joking here. I saw your face. They have asked the elderly people to stop attending for a period of two years so they can rebuild their church with young families. And then the old people can reapply to come back to the church after two years. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. This is terrifying, but that's real. I, I don't even know how to respond to this, really. I mean, okay. First of all, nobody's reapplying in two years. Like, or any of those people, like, if you are listening and you are an old person who's been kicked out of this church in Minnesota, find Bethlehem Baptist Church. It's in Minneapolis. Um, They're in Cottage Grove. Okay, well, go to a good church. Yeah, this is insane. I'd be interested to know, like, what's their reasoning? Like, are young people afraid of old people? Do they, do young people want, like, a, a young, hip atmosphere and the old people are, like, you know, not vibing well. Like, I don't understand the, the, yeah, I don't understand either. My my favorite people in in my church are my, are the old people. Yeah. The young people are the ones who are like all, all the young people give me problems. It's the young, (laughs) it's the old people who are like, Oh, it's okay that you screwed up all of these times. Yeah. Yeah. They're the, they're the ones who, uh, you know, as Proverbs says, they've, uh, they have the marks of a godly life with their gray hairs and their experience. But Okay, this is ridiculous for a, a zillion reasons. First of all, I mean, the Bible is really clear about honoring your elders, right? Honoring those who have come before you, honoring the previous generation. You know, I joke about it, but, you know, the gray hair, that's a sign of a godly life. And there's all of these verses about honoring those who have gone before us and honoring what they've done. Even the whole idea, like you're going to a church that was built on the backs of those older people, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, to not honor them is not biblical, so, I mean, to kick them out of the church is, is ridiculous. So I guess my first reaction is this pastor's an idiot. Secondly, like how influenced by the world is this church for a couple of reasons? Number one, obviously they don't understand how the gospel works because the gospel would not say that the way to the heart of young people is by hiding the old folks, right? The only thing that saves is the true gospel and any sort of attractional leanings, including getting rid of all the old people, is just to misunderstand God's strategy for growth. And God's strategy for growth is faithfulness. Here's the other thing, though, in terms of being, I say, how influenced by the world are you? And and I ask that because it's interesting that we joke on here all the time about how feminists would say women are, are really important and that whole like LGBT movement, which was was partnered very closely with feminism in those early years. They've started kind of cannibalizing each other. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting that now you have, you know, women saying, oh, women are, are unique and special and ought to be preserved. And then you have the transgender community coming on and saying, but anybody can just be a woman. Right. And you think about, we talked about this on Rebel News not that long ago because Toys R Us's were closing all across Canada. And then we we pointed out that the number one charity that Toys R Us supported were abortion charities and funding abortion. And you're like, you're not going to get people, right? You're not going to get, when you're killing your customers, you're, you're funding those who are killing your customers. Of course, you're going to go out of business. So here's this church. Their strategy for growth is kicking people out. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? It's just, it, it doesn't make sense. But this is the sort of insanity that happens when we abandon biblical principles. The thing that stuck for, out for me is, is that the idea that they were struggling and that they, they came up to a strategy that was like, okay, it must be something that we're doing or that we're looking like or, or something like that to fix the problem rather than examining, well, why are we struggling? Are we not preaching the word? Are we making it a show? I don't know. I don't, I've never been uh, yeah, to this church, so I, I don't know church, why yeah. they're actually struggling. But I mean, to me, it'd be one of those things like rather than kick the old people out, these people have attended this church for all these years. This would be the time to have a maybe a meeting with just them and be like, what have we lost? Right. From the time Absolutely. where you guys had this Faithfully church. Faithfully stood here and <laughs> built this church and I've ruined it. <laughs> right. Like exactly. whatever the past. Right? I've, I'm sorry. I've, I've run your ship into the ground, guys. Uh, we're just going to boot you out so I can get this back on track. Like, why not just say I've run your ship into the ground? Where have I gone astray? I think of this in the in terms of like, uh, obviously, I, I do worship. So I thought I thought of like something Killingsworth said on this podcast like two years ago. Yeah. Where Jody like, Killingsworth my soul among lines. Great. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it. It was awesome. But he said one thing that like stuck with me and I think it applies in this situation because I think it applies just the intergenerational churches in general is your goal is to not make one demographic happy. And so like this pastor who's like, oh, we need more younger families. So we need to make them happy. you never should be just focusing on one demographic. Our job is to make everybody equally okay with everything that's happening. You know what I mean? Equally uncomfortable too. <laughs> equally challenged, equally 100%. upset. Like here's the thing, like every decision I make at the church, every decision that the elders make is unpopular somewhere. Right. And so yeah, you're usually you're, just with me. Pretty's <laughs> a real complainer guys, but we're supposed to make people uncomfortable because this is a place where growth is supposed to happen. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think what, what Jody was getting at was like, your, your job is to make everybody equally upset, equally happy as well, but equally upset. Right. So, so do things that challenge the old people, do things that challenge the young people, do things that challenge everybody in the church and, and sometimes cater to some and sometimes cater to the others, but just be biblical and God will worry about the fruitfulness. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's ridiculous. I got another one for you. <laughs> okay. I saw this on Facebook originally. Sorry, there's one other thing I just want to say. Oh, sure. Isn't it interesting that the culture is now moving in the direction of killing old people through euthanasia? And here's the church coming along, essentially killing off its old people by excommunicating them because they're too old. Again, how influenced from the world are you? Sorry, that popped into my head. I just wanted to well, say I that. Well, I think you're bang on. The church is the report card of the, of the culture, yeah, sorry, rather is the report, is the report of the church. Of the church. Right. How we're treating our old people in the church is right. obviously going to exactly. mirror how, we, how the old people are treated in society. And to be honest, I would say I don't have any statistics or anything, but the general view of elderly people has diminished greatly in yeah. my in my lifetime. Well, just think of that phrase that phrase that's out now like okay boomer, right? Is like that that sort of like disregard immediately for like you're just old and you don't understand, right? Back in the day if we said that, if we had said like something that dismissive to like our dads when we were growing up, we would have got a swift kick in the shins, knock in the back of the head, <laughs> like I don't know, <laughs> right? Like absolutely. Yeah. And it's and rightfully. And, and exactly <laughs> and and right, rightfully so. I think I think I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but if you think like there was an awareness of the generation probably just a little bit older than us, like our dad's generation, where they recognized that their dads fought in World War II. Right. And that the freedoms and the luxuries they had were paid for by most of their blood. Right. We're now, not me and you were a bit too old, but I mean, like the generations Easy. that are coming behind us are so far removed from that that they don't remember what was right. paid for. Yeah. 
now they're just used to living off the benefits of the freedoms that were that were won. And I realize that's like a very simplistic way to th- no, think no, of the OK Boomer thing. But well, that's I, honestly that's the whole that's one of the main stories of the Old Testament, right? Is that like a generation who were in dire straits had to turn to God. God miraculously saved them, raised up a judge, raised up a king, right? Saved them. The nation repented, turned back to God, and then the subsequent generation grew up in the blessing of faithfulness. And what do they do? They turn away from God, and the whole cycle starts over again, right? So, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Um, okay, sorry, I, I interrupted something about no. Facebook. So I saw this this rebel piece of news. I want your thoughts on. I saw this on Facebook. Convicted sex offender is no longer a threat, and so he's been released after undergoing gender transition treatment. So an Iowa State Attorney General's office dismissed the case against a Midwest Christian student services convict who was convicted of sex crimes because the student who was a man basically says he's a girl now. So therefore, he's no longer a threat because he's no longer the man who committed the offense. And so he's oh wow no longer yeah. being sentenced and he's now going to be released. Uh, <laughs> so... so Okay, Sex so, change takes right. away the threat. So, I mean, did he actually have surgery? No. Okay. So he still, he still has his male parts. Yeah. 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 And I asked that, I mean, I think I would have lots to say either way, but I think it's even more ridiculous the fact that it's pre-op, right? That he hasn't had any sort of gender reassignment surgery. So I was about to be very crude. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to be crude, but I think this is ridiculous because number one, it's sexist. Right. Let's just let's just throw that term back at them. Right. To say that because he is now a she in his own mind, a she is not as aggressive, is not uh, prone to sexual assault. Therefore, you know, a woman wouldn't do that sort of thing. So I don't know. I don't know what they all said in terms of but like no longer a threat. Well, why? Because his victims were women. And now he is saying he's a she. Well, that doesn't make sense in our culture either, because, you know, guys and guys and girls and girls is all okay in your worldview. Right. So that doesn't make sense. And then and this is what I was going to be crass with his assault weapon is still there. Right. Like that. Right? Like, and, and like, it just, it's ridiculous to me that the culture can't see the play that's being run on them. The play that's being run on them is, Oh, okay. I'll play that game. If that's going to get me out of jail, I'll play this game. Like this is a really dangerous thing. This reminds me of in New York after they passed the law, about kids being able to be terminated up to nine months, right? In uh, abortion laws changing in New York. And when that happened, there was a guy who was in jail for a homicide because he assaulted a pregnant woman and killed the baby that was inside of her. And therefore he was sentenced as if, you know, for manslaughter because he had killed the unborn child. And then his lawyers got him off. So it went from manslaughter and aggravated assault to just the assault charge. And then he had already served that time. So he got taken out of jail. And not only that, he actually got severance because that means that he served more than he would have got had the manslaughter charge not been there. So he got a big chunk of money from the state. So people are going to take advantage of our insanity however they can. And I think this is the the crazy world that the liberal left has created for us now. And criminals are going to take advantage. Like we were called bigots for saying you think that it's going to take very long for sex predators to discover that they're allowed in any bathroom now. Oh, you bigot. Like you think every trans person is a, is a sex offender. No, that's not what I said. What I said was there are real predators out there and 
they use, there's, there's a reason that the church is actually one of the number one places that oftentimes predatory sex offenders go to. They get involved in children's ministry. They get involved in nursery uh, ministry because it's a place that's supposed to be trusting. It's a place of, of forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. There's a reason, and the reason is, is because people are totally depraved and they look for opportunity for their sin. And so all this is doing is creating an insane world where you can say you're some, like how long now, you don't even have to talk about gender reassignment. How long is it before somebody says, well, I don't identify as a murderer anymore? Or how long is it before, you know, the LGBT two plus, that two plus is two spirit, right? Uh, That was my other spirit. The spirit I am now would never do that, right? Or you talk about this this uh, group of people out in BC who identify as wolves and go out in, in whatever. They're fighting now for the right out in BC. This is a real thing. They're fighting out for the right in BC for them to fornicate with wolves because they identify as wolves, and so they're allowed. And here's let's, the let's see how that goes. <laughs> well, well, so two things. That's that's what I was going to get to. Secondly, but then and what's funny is that the judges don't just dismiss this. They start talking about well, how can we know that the wolf consents? Like this is real life guys like this isn't a game and that's your question talking about how wolves can consent but the second thing is like part of me is just like yeah go for that see how that works like see how that turns out for you but this is the insane world that we live in and i've heard al moeller say this so many times on the briefing there's no breaks on the sexual revolution bus there's no breaks And this is where we are, where now sex offenders are getting off because they claim to identify as a new gender. This is ridiculous. How long until a 40-year-old identifies as a 14-year-old so that he can have sex with somebody who's underage? How long, right? We're getting groomed for consenting kids in the public education system where they're teaching them sex ed in grade one and two anyway. It's so um, disturbing. The idea of statutory rape is not a thing anymore. Yeah. Um, Because you have TED Talks talking about pedophilia just being another blip on the sexual spectrum. And like, it's honestly, there's no breaks on the sexual revolution. At some point somewhere, God needs to have mercy on our nation and people need to return to an objective standard of morality. That's kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking there is that this idea of two spirits and transgenderism and switching and you're no longer the person you were. It's such a mockery of the gospel totally. where it's like where yes. we, we would all say, and we said this on the podcast last week, we were dead in our transgressions made alive in Christ. We would both say we're a new creation at that yeah. point. We're born again. We are different than who we were, but the consequences would still remain. If I was a murderer like Paul yeah. and I killed somebody, I would not say, well, let me out of jail now because I'm no longer that person. I'm forgiven now. I would say I deserve to serve the sentence because I did, I did the crime, but thankfully the eternal punishment won't be applied to me. Whereas this is like a mockery of, of the gospel of that idea where it's like, I used to be a woman or I used to be a man. Now I'm a woman. So therefore anything I did in my previous life, you can't hold against me because I'm a totally different person. And it's like, that's such a mockery of what we would believe. And I think I'm going to step out and just say, I would bet if you privately put 90% of people into a room and said, do you think that's right? They would say no. But the, our, our culture is such a minority vocal, like whoever screams the loudest. And let's be honest right now, who is screaming the loudest is the LGBT community. Yeah. Because they've got the platform to do it and nobody's allowed to silence them or push back at all because it's censored. 
But when yeah. the, they speak out, it's one of those things where it's like we don't, nobody knows how to even come out because the moment they, we also live in a culture, the moment we stand out against that, we're now a bigot, we're now a racist, we're now a all the like label, all of the labels that you could yeah. throw out against it. And then all of a sudden, that's what you are forever. There was a guy in the southern states who he had gender reassignment surgery to become a woman and um, years later regretted it right? As many do, fell into depression, suicidal thoughts, all that kind of stuff. Had the surgery to transition back and has contacted a bunch of news outlets who won't touch him, right? This was going viral on uh, Daily Wire, maybe picked it up or something. And all the major mainstream media news outlets said, no, we don't need to talk to you. We don't want to talk to you. That's not a news story we're interested in covering. Why? Because that's not what the culture wants to hear because they know the backlash they'll get because they fear the 10% or they they fear the the 2% or whatever that vocal minority is. So we live in a culture where, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but this is fascism. That's what fascism is, right? Is essentially being bullied into silence, you know, being told to fall in line and get your thoughts and your words and your actions in line with our point of view. This is just fascism from the left and it comes in the name of tolerance, but it's fascism nonetheless. Yeah, um, yeah. We used to live in a time where journalists were brave. Totally. And so like, now they they're all be, soft. They're all they're like, they're afraid to like yeah. run an article like that because they'll lose their jobs where before that's the kind of thing you would win a Pulitzer prize for. Be like, here's evidence, and I've done this all this work, right. and here it is, and this stands in the face of what everybody believes. Yeah. That's the kind of journalism that used to get books, used to get, and but, now that lose you lose your job. But here's the thing: pastors used to be willing to lose their jobs over preaching biblical truth too, and we've had soft men in the pulpit for years. And so, what can we expect from journalists? Amen. And I actually think that segues pretty well into our topic today, to be honest with you. So today we want to talk about the false gospels uh, of antinomianism and legalism. So we've been in this series, we're talking about the false ideas of the gospel, the, the distortions of the gospel that have seeped their way into the church. We're kind of getting the idea for this series from the book of Galatians, when Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. And, and I think that he's writing to the churches in Galatia right before the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. When they're about to actually vote on, when the, the, the apostles are about to debate and discuss, does someone need to be circumcised? Does somebody need to adhere to the law of Moses? Does somebody need to adhere to Jewish dietary laws in order to be saved? Or is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? And so Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia and in the southern province of Galatia. He's writing to those churches that he planted on his first missionary journey, kind of hedging his bets to, to help them stay true to the gospel of free grace in the midst of this looming legalism. And so we got the idea for this whole series, but today we talk specifically about legalism and antinomianism. And I guess um, we should define our terms. So antinomianism simply means nomos means law. Anti obviously means against. So antinomianism is against the law or the lawless gospel, we'll call it maybe. Legalism is the idea that somehow the strict rules and regulations of the law itself or of the expectations of the Christian life are necessary for achieving either salvation or favor with God. So uh, we would say that these are actually two sides of the same coin. So if legalism is the idea that uh, as Christians, we earn some extra level of our Christian faith or some extra favor with God by the way that we live, 
or at its most abhorrent state, the idea that our adherence to the law is actually what earns us favor with God in the first place, earns our standing before God. And the truth is, even the Catholic gospel falls into this category, right? So the the Catholic gospel, they say that infant baptism erases original sin. They would say that an infant that is baptized is baptized so that they can become a tabula rasa, right? A, A blank slate. So that now baptism erases original sin and infuses them with just enough grace to be able to live a godly life. And then they're standing before God right? Their justification is then earned based on having original sin washed away with baptism and enough grace, sort of the substance of grace infused in us to live a legal, uh, you know, a lawful life. And so that's kind of the basis for legalism. And I think the Catholic gospel and what the Catholics believe, and I'm not saying that there aren't born again believers in the Catholic church. I'm sure that there are, because as we talked about last week, salvation is something that happens to us and God is able to save all of his elect, even in suboptimal conditions. But we would say that the gospel purported officially by the Catholic church is a legalistic gospel and a false gospel. Yeah, that's absolutely. I, I look at the... Like antinomianism, I can never say the word. I always look at that the as the I can sin as much as I want gospel. Yeah, that's exactly and so, like, right. I always think of that verse where Paul's like, "By no means, like by no means can is that what that means?" But it's it's like people who have read that first part but stop before he says, "But uh, right. by by no means," where it's like. Everything that you've asked me to follow, everything you've asked me, because I'm saved by grace, I'm so saved by grace that I can just do whatever I want and I can live the lifestyle however I want. And it doesn't matter because I've got my get out of jail card for free. And I also look at that as like the less extreme version of that is the, and we all know this guy. We all know the, these people who are like your church and what you guys stand for. And that's not the Jesus that I know. I'm going to continue just all, you know, I'll just, I'll just love do neighbor, my love self, exactly. love God, love neighbor. <laughs> exactly. I'm just going to live my truth my Jesus and like, just read the red letters and like, I'm going to live this way myself. Oh. Um, yeah. and I'm saved by grace because I, I don't need to do anything else, which on one hand we would both agree. Yeah. You don't need anything else to be saved. Just the grace of God. But like, we would also say there's evidences that show that you have the grace of God. Um, and then there's like, obviously the legalist side that we would be the, I think, I think you nailed it when you talked about the Catholic where it's like slate swipe clean. Now you got to pay for it. You right. know what I mean, and it's like, yeah, I canceled your debt, but now you're at sub zero. You exactly. got to earn slates clean, bro. Let's, yeah. let's, and let's go. And you know, as long as you make the right steps and tip the scales at that point, then you'll, you'll make it in. And that is like, so you say tip the scales, but like, so you can see because you've heard Christians say this and you've heard non-Christians. So if this is the gospel that's being exported from our churches, we see that we talked about this during Rebel News, that the culture is the report card of the church. And so, you know, when you talk to non-Christians and you start talking to them about the need of forgiveness of sins, the need for a savior, what do they come back to you with? Well, you know, when I stand before God or whatever, like the good things I do, I just hope they outweigh the bad things that I do. And I'm a pretty good person, blah, blah, blah. Well, where are they getting that tip scale analogy? They're getting that from the legalistic gospel that's been exported from the church. This idea that your good deeds still have to outweigh your bad deeds. Right. And this is a quote from the Valley of Vision, which is a Puritan prayer book where it says, even our tear filled prayers of repentance need to be soaked in the blood of Christ. Right. Like everything we do, even the most holy things that we do are tainted to their core because they're tainted with sin. Right. And so I think legalism fails to understand that Paul talks about our good deeds as dung. 
right? It's worthless to God. Isaiah uses the metaphor of filthy menstrual rags, right? Like that's what our good works are to God. So we don't bring anything of value. And then you have Romans that comes along. So Paul teaches in Romans that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the only thing that ends up pleasing God is the faith that he infuses us with. And then, and then we can be a sweet aroma, but we don't earn that through our good works. We earn that through our being in Christ, which is something that's done to us, not something that we earn. Absolutely. The legalist gospel is, is an interesting one because I think this is, I think this is actually one that the, like the reformed camp actually struggles with. And I, I say, I like, I realize I'm probably just offending everyone. Do right it, now. do it. No, um, I think you're right. I, I, Cause I, like I would say, I think, I think I struggle a little bit with this. When you, you, when you preached the opening, you, we listed off like, well, you listed off like 12 different, uh, like different gospels. And you, and one of your application points was we all probably struggle with one of these, which one? And I was like, the legalist gospel is probably the one that I would say I'm the most prone to fall into where it's like, well, if you don't believe the right thing about baptism, you're not a Christian. Right. You don't believe the right thing about, about he's black and white. Like, yes, I am. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, like yeah. I've made the comment before. I don't actually, I don't say I believe it full, full on, but like the AW pink thing of like, well, Armenians aren't Christians. You know right. what I mean? Like, um, whereas like you can get, you can get into that cage stage though, where that's right. what you actually think. Whereas right. like, unless you're bang on, on all these things, you're denying some part of the Bible. Therefore you're denying it all. Therefore right. you're not a Christian at all. And you're not saved at all. I, whereas I say, that's the one that I can struggle with that. And I think that's the one where as reformed people, I think that's the one we need to like really, really re- continue to remind ourselves, preach the gospel to yourself every single day that it's right. It's, it's not what I believe it's what is true. <laughs> well, well, and I, I think you, I think you have nailed it. I think that there is a sense of legalism that seeped its way into the reform community. So let's poke our reform friends in the eyes for a second here, because which we would count ourselves among, which we would count ourselves among, right? We're, we're doing this to ourselves as well, because I, I would agree with you. And I would say that where my legalistic tendencies come in is in the area of theology, right? Think about this for a second. For those of you, because here's the reality is, is that the cure for the pride that comes or the legalism that comes is the recognition that grace is free and it's all of God, right? But we are adding something to the gospel, right? In that legalistic adding works to salvation sense, if we start saying that specific doctrine, specific theology is required for salvation, so think about this, right? And even in a series where we're talking about the true gospel, right? Is then belief in the true gospel as opposed to belief in a different gospel a requirement for salvation? We have to say no, right? We have to say no, even though that makes our reformed minds struggle. Yeah, you right? even write that. I'm like, no, dang. Yeah, yeah. Well, it does because because we uphold theology and God's word so high, which is a good thing, but we would say, oh, therefore you must be accurate in your theology. You must understand. And don't get me wrong, right? If you have a wrong Christology, if you don't understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man, then there is an aspect of, of the gospel that's missing because truthfully, if Jesus is not fully man, then he cannot pay the debt on man's behalf. If he's not fully God, then his blood his life is not valuable enough to pay for the sins of all of the elect. So he needs to be both God and man. And that's a a necessary component of the gospel. But here's what I'll say, and it's going to drive some of our reform friends crazy. Believing that is not a necessary component to salvation. Why do I say that? Because salvation is something that happens to you. 
Salvation is not something that if you hear the right gospel, if you hear the right thing, if you believe the right thing, then you get saved. No, no. Salvation is a free gift of God. He infuses us with faith. He puts it in us. He saves us. He regenerates our hearts. He brings us back to life, causes us to be born again, shines gospel light into our heart, all of those things. And I think it's interesting. So, in, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it, it's interesting when you say that, what, what I, I think somebody who's listening to us objectively right now would say, so then we would be actually antinomian. Only thing that would save us is grace. I think the important differentiator, I think why these are the two sides of the same coin. Yes, you're, is you're right you, there. You hit, it, you hit it, but then we don't then reject God's laws. We want to love it. We want to cling to it because now our desire is for him. That's exactly and right. So, yeah, that's exactly right. So we kind of got into this because of Galatians 1, we were talking about Galatians 1 and, and the people who are distorting the gospel. So Paul, as he's defending his apostleship in Roman or in Galatians 1, it's interesting because he, he starts talking about how he was saved and how the gospel, so in verse 11 of chapter 1, he says, I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that I preached is not me, uh, that was preached by me, sorry, is not man's gospel, right? He's saying it's God's gospel. He talks about, I didn't receive it from a man. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about his road to Damascus experience, all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting that even in his testimony, he's preaching very strong Calvinistic soteriology. So he says, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Sounds legalistic, right? And then in verse 15, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, there's election, unconditional election right there. He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, irresistible grace right there, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You're getting the unconditional election, irresistible grace. And I think what you're, what you're seeing there is the recognition that, again, salvation is something that happens to Paul. It wasn't that he came to a theological understanding of the true gospel, and that's what got him out of it. It was the shining gospel light into his heart. And so I think you're dead on when you say that antinomianism and legalism are two sides of the same coin, because to get away from legalism, we preach radical grace. But then when when Paul preaches radical grace, the question arises, well, then shouldn't we just keep sinning that grace should abound? That's the antinomian gospel, right? And so the antinomian gospel rears its ugly head with the people who say only God can judge me. This is the gay Christian movement, right? That, well, you know, I'm gay and I'm a Christian and, you know, you're going to have to learn to accept me because God's grace is free, right? That's that you can't judge me gospel, the no judgment gospel, antinomian, lawless gospel. Only Only God. God can judge me should terrify you. Just, just, yeah, throw, exactly. just point that out. Like, <laughs> that's that's a, terrifying. Yeah, it's a good, that's uh, a great, <laughs> great point. But I think what both the antinomian gospel and the legalistic gospel fail on is they, they both equally fail to understand the reality of new birth. Okay. So the legalism and even the legalism that you and I have just admitted that we struggle with is the, this idea of like understanding the true gospel or the, the theology surrounding the gospel or whatever, the recognition, new birth, right? God changes you and he changes you and puts the spirit in you, right? Ezekiel 36, I'll put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my ways. And those are the two points. I put my spirit within them. And then once the spirit is there, that's the spirit of truth who leads us into truth. So then we gain an understanding of the nuances of the gospel and theology. But then, and I will cause them to walk in my statutes. I will cause them to walk in my ways. That's what the antinomian gospel is missing is the new birth. When we are born again, we have 
have new desires, new heart, new nature, and it's a nature that loves and delights in the law of God. So there's no such thing as a person who's saved to lawlessness. We are saved. And even if you go later into Galatians, I think it's one of the most misused texts in all of scripture when it says we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. That just means we're not judged by the law any longer. We are judged by the grace given to us. That has nothing to do with whether or not we should still adhere to the law. And we should still adhere to the law because it's a reflection of God's character and because the spirit of God loves the law of God and the spirit that lives within us causes us to walk in his ways. What are his ways? His laws. Amen. When you tie in all the New Testament writings, when you start to hear things like, well, the kingdom of God won't be filled with people who are sexually immoral, all these different things. And then you think about the idea of, well, like, well, if we're, if it's like saved by grace, I can still keep going and doing all those things. The Bible actually says people who continue to do those things don't actually inherit the kingdom of God. That's right. So, and, and Paul actually points out such were some of you like pointing out that there is a change that happens. And I think, I think you bang on with the new birth. We are no longer the person who was enslaved to all those things. And I think we always have to caveat just so nobody's hearing what we're not saying we're not saying that there won't be people who enter the kingdom of God who struggle with those things. Right. But the difference there is they struggle to overcome it. And the Bible tells us that we have the power yeah. to overcome those right. things. They aren't glorying in their sin. Right. No, exactly. Like, and that's the thing, like not I craving it, not going out for it, like on right. purpose. And yeah. There's remorse, there's guilt, there's a genuine desire to unentangle yourself from sin and all those kinds of things. And so we're not talking about sinless perfection. Of course we're not, but we're talking about the ongoing desire to live lawfully right mike wilkins who who mentored me when you were just talking about how when people ask you how you're doing you say uh you know better than i I deserve right his thing was uh how are you doing mike and he he would say living lawfully and loving it (laughs) because he's quirky like that right but that was his whole thing is that a christian is meant is called to live lawfully but the difference is he loves living lawfully because he loves pleasing the one who saved him I think that's an interesting evidence in in the Christian like first John would tell us like how we can know we're saved and I think that's the difference when you read that book I can't quote the scriptures like you can at the moment but that's the that's the difference that how you can tell somebody's regeneration is legitimate is the love of God's statutes the love of his right. word the love of his laws not the these things are an inconvenience or something I'm going to white knuckle obey. Right. It's the idea of that I want to follow these things because I I love God and I want to please Him. I want like yeah. not that my fault how accurately I follow it saves me in any way shape right. or form, but or earns me anything more than I would have been given anyway. But it's the idea of that like I still want to do the right thing because this is what I've been told to do and obedience is a like nobody obeys somebody they hate. You know what right. I mean? Like you obey those who you love. I always think of, uh, you try to get away with things with people you hate. Ex- exactly. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I can't remember the, I'll use a different analogy because I can't remember the one that I actually know, but like Samwise Gamgee. So for, <laughs> love that guy. <laughs> so <laughs> that little hobbit, <laughs> but he follows Frodo and he obeys Frodo throughout all of the, the books and whatnot and serves him. Why? Because he loves Frodo. Frodo's a doofus, but like you get the idea, like Sam follows him and loves him simply because he like he loves him. He obeys him because he loves him. I think that's the thing that we've lost 
in this whole argument about like just grace and I don't need the church. I don't need to give. I don't need to serve. I don't need to do any things is that all of those things don't save you, but they're evidences of the person you love, that you're following the one that you love. And if you love Jesus, then you'll do what he commands. Yeah. I think that's where that whole idea of like red letter and just, I just, I just do my own solo Christianity just falls completely flat on its face. Totally. Totally. You know, it's interesting that, uh, uh, just providentially, as we were talking about in Rebel News, we were talking about the the sort of false gospel that the trans community and, and all of these ideas of identifying as somebody else and becoming somebody else, it's all Gnostic to its core, which is its own ancient heresy. But it is, and you, you use the term, it's sort of a mockery of new birth, which I really like that expression. So I'll just riff on that a little bit is, I guess, regeneration is an inescapable concept, insofar as we all recognize our need to be someone new, right? And I think that that's that sort of totally depraved, tainted by sin, all that stuff, but made in the image of God. Thomas Boston talks about the longing for the image, right? That we bear this marred image of God. And so you have this sort of mock regeneration in that, you know, this convicted sex offender who becomes someone else. And because of the newness of my life, you know, I should, I should have all my sins forgiven. And I think, again, one of the reasons that culture is putting forward such a perversion of new birth is because the church hasn't been strong enough on new birth, mm. right? So we have pastors who are too weak to tell people who don't have the power to live lawfully that their biggest problem isn't that you know they didn't get that promotion on Sunday. Their biggest problem is that they don't actually know God despite the fact that they've been going to the church for 10 years because they haven't experienced new birth. So we have these weak-willed pastors who aren't preaching new birth because preaching new birth radically ought to very quickly show people where they are and where they aren't. And I think that that's one of the problems is we have too many churches that are preaching messages about how to make an unregenerate cultural Christian more comfortable in his life than challenging that guy to actually have a, an experience of new birth because he cries out to God and God finally actually regenerates his heart. So that's just kind of that full circle thing that, that it made me think. And then just an analogy I like to use this. I used this in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's a, a good way to end is the idea of the woman that Solomon declares the mother of the child. So, right. So Solomon, you're, you're nodding there. I, you know where I'm going with this. So Solomon, the first thing after he receives wisdom from God, the first thing that he does that the Bible shows to prove his wisdom is he has these two prostitutes who come to him, each claiming that they own this child. One of them rolled over onto their baby in the middle of the night and killed their baby. And so they went over to the other sleeping prostitute and took the baby that was nursing on that mother's breast, put it on her own breast and put the dead baby under the other woman. So the two of them come to them, both claiming that the one living baby is theirs. And Solomon in this like this horrible PR decision <laughs> calls for a sword and says, bring me a sword. I'll cut the baby in half and I'll give each half to each mother. And the real mother, she says, don't kill the baby, you know, let her have the baby. And then Solomon obviously understands who the real mother is and gives that woman the, the child. And the analogy that I use is that that woman did not become the mother of that child because of what she did, right? 
what she did proved that she was already the mother of that child. And that's what we talk about when we talk about these, these false gospels of antinomianism and legalism. What we have to understand is that the living lawfully and loving it part comes after new birth. It's the evidence. It's the, Jesus says, we know a tree by its fruit. It's the fruit that comes after God makes the tree a good tree. He gives us a new heart and the evidence that actual regeneration has happened is the transformed life afterwards and it's not perfect and it's slow and it's two steps forward one step back but it is change real actual change homosexuals alcoholics that whole list in first corinthians 6 such were some of you but now you've been cleansed right and so actual transformed lives come not when we properly understand new birth when new birth actually happens and we begin to live lawfully. Amen. Those are the false gospels of antinomianism and legalism and the necessity of new birth. We'll come back next week and talk about another way in which the gospel of free grace is being perverted. And until then, peace. (laughs) 